0: The battle over a cap-and-trade bill led to a dramatic showdown in Salem last year. Republican senators walked out of the Capitol, denying the Democratic supermajority the quorum they needed to vote. Eventually, the controversial bill fell apart, but a similar bill is back for round two. Today, we're joined by Oregon Senate Majority Leader Jenny Burdick and Senate Minority Leader Herman Sugar to discuss the new version we'll see this session. From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter.
1: Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. The 2020 legislative session kicks off on Monday. You're probably going to hear a lot about cap and trade over the next few weeks. It's Senate Bill 1530, and it's meant to address the climate crisis by reducing the state's overall greenhouse gas emissions. A cap and trade bill failed in the last session, but this time Democrats say they've made some changes to reduce the impacts on rural Oregon. But Republicans say it's not enough. And this new bill is already creating so much controversy, Republicans say they may not even show up. Today on Straight Talk, we break down those arguments and find out if there's any common ground, any room for compromise. Welcome to my guest, the leader of the Democrats in the Oregon Senate, Senator Ginny Burdick. She represents Portland and parts of Tigard. And we also welcome the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, Senator Herman Baird Sugar of Grants Pass. Welcome to Straight Talk. It's an honor to have you both here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. So the legislative session kicks off bright and early Monday morning at Mm 30. One political reporter has said it could be a doozy of a session. I guess the big question to start with is Senator Barrett Sugar, are you and your caucus going to show up on Monday?
0: Oh, I think you'll see us all there.
1: So what are you thinking about the session? How are you feeling about the session, Senator?
2: You know, it's a 35 day session and uh, we always have the challenge of trying to match expectations with time limitations. So it will be a very intense session. We've got a lot of work to do, not just on the climate bill, but on, budgets and other uh, more routine uh, measures.
1: I read that every day is like a week in the short session compared to the the long session. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about it going into this session, Senator Baird Sugar?
0: Well, you know, I, uh, my priorities for the session is, is to get, get the budget stuff done. I think that's why the short session was originally created to get those budget fixes. So we don't have to depend on the e-board or have the governor call a special session. And there's some things that, you know, that I'd like to see done. I'd like to see the, the foster kids problem, you know, getting taken care of. I mean, right now there's foster kids today that don't know where they're going to sleep tonight. And I think that that needs to be resolved. Homeless problem in Oregon. And then one of the big things that I think that the legislature just kind of shies away from that Senator Courtney and I are in lockstep with, and that's the mental health crisis here in Oregon, too. When you look at the suicide rates and those kind of things that are really, really bad. And those, those are affecting people right now today as we're sitting here. So I'd like to see us start looking at some of that stuff. So some initiative.
1: critical issues maybe you could find yeah. some common ground on. Sure. The issue I think that we're going to hear most about <laughs> and that we're hearing is going to dominate the session is cap and trade. So I want to dig into that a little bit, find out where your differences are. To refresh our viewers on what cap and trade does, it would basically make it more expensive to pollute. Big greenhouse gas emitters would have to buy credits for each ton of gas that they emit, and it creates an overall cap for emissions allowed in the state. The goal of the new cap and trade Bill, it's Senate Bill 1530, is to cut greenhouse gas emissions to 45 percent below 1990 levels by 2035 and cut emissions down to 80 percent below 1990 levels by 2050. To address rural concerns, it also phases in regulations geographically, starting in Portland in 2022. Other parts of the state like Eugene, Bend and Salem by 2025. The rest of the state wouldn't see regulations until 19 counties decided to voluntarily participate in the program. The bill does include a section that uh, Republicans have pointed out, but says regulations would apply to areas that import more than 10 million gallons of gas a year by 2025. And The DEQ says that would be about 87% of total gasoline used in the state, and the bill also cuts the number of manufacturing facilities affected by regulations by about half. It's a very complicated bill, 105 pages I heard without amendment. So Senator Bear Sugar, what's your biggest beef with this bill?
0: Well, the standards of the bill to cut emissions by 80% of 1990 levels is unrealistic. And I know you have the chart here. We'll probably see it sometime during the show. When you see that, I've asked the question, you know, at what point of the Oregon history did we ever have Emissions that low? Was it back in the 1850s? Was it in 1800? Nobody seems to answer that question. That's pretty. The expectations of meeting that is 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 really really big. You know, I I think what we're seeing when we look at California, they've enacted their cap and trade about eight years ago, and what this seems to be all about. This I call it a scheme. Some people don't like that, but I call it a scheme that we're able to. Um, to sell credits to California because their companies in California don't have the credits they need and they have to make a decision, either pay or leave the state. So they might be able to buy our credits and use them in California and I think that's, that's very dangerous. Uh, the economy in California is totally different than Oregon. They have 40 million people. It's one of the biggest economies on the planet. And we've only got 4.3 million people. And I just don't I just don't think that we should take that chance with this legislation. Um, well,
1: let's bring Senator Burdick in here. Yeah. Do you want to respond to Senator Berkshiker's concerns? And is there room for tweaking, changing, trying to bring the Republicans along so they might agree more to this bill?
2: Well, first of all, we have to recognize that we are in a climate crisis and this crisis is probably disproportionately affecting rural Oregon. We're seeing unprecedented levels of forest fires that are more intense, we're seeing uh, drying up of the of the water table in parts of eastern Oregon, we're seeing flooding, we're seeing wet weather fluctuations that are harming our agriculture industry, so this is not an optional thing we're doing. We must act because we are in an emergency.
1: Republicans are asking though, is this the, the right way to go? Though I want to show that graphic that you mentioned, Senator Barrett Sugar, of emissions. This is a graphic from the DEQ. It shows 1990 levels were about 58 million metric tons and 80% below that by 2050 would be about 12 million tons of carbon emissions. Uh, Senator Barrett Sugar has said that is unrealistic. Can the state, Senator Burdick, really get to that? Is is that because we're trying to link with California? Is that something that's locked in or can that be changed at all? We absolutely
2: can get there. And because not only does um, Senate Bill 1530 uh, require emission reductions, but it also uh, requires investment in our clean economy. So between those two things, I think it is a very realistic goal. And more importantly, the scientists say, if we don't do it, we are in deep, deep trouble as a planet.
1: Senator Barrett-Sugar, I hear a lot about how this is going to affect rural Oregon. How will this affect rural Oregon more than the rest of the state?
0: Well, in rural Oregon, and we're you know mostly natural resource-based and everything we do um, takes what I call brute horsepower. And the only way to supply brute horsepower is fossil fuels until the technology changes. Um, and so when we see these higher energy prices, we're gonna see really, really significant fuel price increases over the next, until, 2050. And how much do you think? You know, it's all over the place. You got to remember, we've been doing things. We've got clean to coal. We've done. We've got the clean fuel standards. We've done. We've given incentives for wind energy, incentives uh, for solar energy. We have the Oregon Trust that helps us insulate our houses or so our houses. are. So we've been doing a lot of things, but um, we have to compete. On the world market, and if we're paying five dollars a gallon for gas, and somebody else is paying two fifty, that's going to be that's going to devastate
2: is our. Is it
1: businesses. going to be that high going no, to five dollars a gallon?
2: Absolutely not. These same kind of scare tactics were used when we uh, when we adopted the clean fuels legislation. They did not materialize. These same kind of scare tactics were used in California, and California's economy improved with this legislation. The 11 states that have adopted versions of this legislation all have economies uh, performing above the national average. So this is scary tactics. What is really scary though
1: is wildfires wildfires are very scary. And I understand that some of the profits from the auction would go to wildfire prevention, which has got to be a big concern for rural Oregon, especially in your district in Grants Pass in Southern Oregon. Is that a benefit for you to see money come from that?
0: You know, I've been part of the wildfire environment since 1977. I'm an, uh, used to be a uh, manager of wildland fires. And, you know, to use wildland fires uh, to support this legislation is is, in my opinion, crazy, it really is. Um, the problem with wildland fires in Oregon is the federal government and their uh, fire management um, policy on federal lands. It is not lands that Oregon has authority over, it's the federal lands and this, this will do nothing for that.
1: Is there anything uh, coming up in the session that Democrats could do, any changes to this bill that would get you to support it?
0: At this point, here's here's the political landscape, OK? Both uh, Senator Burdick and myself have our bases. And our bases on this particular legislation are pulling us very, very hard both directions. And that's something that neither her or I can do a lot about, OK? Um, and that's why, you know, that's why I've come out here in the last couple of weeks and said, you know, if this bill is so important, if this is such a wonderful idea that we should just put it to the ballot and let Oregonians vote on it because there is, with our bases pulling us in two different directions like we've never seen before. I mean, when you seen the rally last year and now we have this rally again, I guess it's going to be on the 6th, it's supposed to be twice as big. We can't. You mean en- with
1: loggers and truckers that came to Salem? Well,
0: it's farmers and loggers and truckers and commercial fishermen and uh, construction. It will be construction folks. We're looking at
1: uh, some of the protests from last year.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, they tell me it's going to be between 10 and 20,000 people. I don't know if those are good numbers, but I do know it's a lot of people. Us that represent rural Oregon cannot ignore that. It might be easy for Senator Burdick and some of her Portland legislators to ignore that, but we can't. We can't
2: do
1: it. Why not put it to a vote of the people?
2: Uh, It's already been put to a vote of the people. We all campaigned on this. The voters sent us to deal with this very complex issue. Uh, There are many, many compromises, puts and takes. There are concessions. There are uh, very complicated provisions in this bill to make sure it works in a fair way for all Oregonians. And you can't reduce that down to a 30-second soundbite, especially since you know that the large uh, polluters, the oil companies and other large polluters will be pouring millions to try to scare people. And Renew
1: Oregon already has some ballot measures ready to go, they're an environmental group. If it fails in the legislature, they're more strict. I mean, they actually reduce it more, the emissions down more. Are you worried that that would pass at the ballot?
0: Well, your word is passed, but you know I've always said when things go to the to the ballot that the citizens vote, it takes me out of the equation. It takes me out, and it's there. That's what they want to do. So, you know, whatever happens, happens. We have to live by it. Um, you, I mean, know, it uh, you know, you you got to remember something. Here's the bill. I don't know if it's on tape here. You Here's can hold it bill. up
1: so people can see. Yeah, it there. it's
0: this is a very complicated bill. And to your to your viewers right now, if you want some really boring reading, b- b- interrupted by moments of shock and, and uh, wonder, then read this bill. And I just don't think that we should risk Oregon's economy. Well, I th- let me
1: let Senator Burdick respond.
0: Uh, the danger that we face is doing nothing.
2: Uh, basically what the opponents are saying is do nothing. That is not an alternative. We are in a climate emergency, both internationally, worldwide, and right here in Oregon. We don't have the option to do nothing. What we do have the option to do is to invite everyone to the table, including Republicans. Uh, The Republicans have been reluctant to, to participate fully. We have two of our work group of four people in the Senate, two are from rural districts. Yes, we have rural Democrats who care very deeply about their rural constituents and they have uh, done the heavy lifting to make sure that rural areas are treated fairly in this, that they will not be disadvantaged, that we will actually have job increases, not job reductions, from this bill. Let me, this let me bill is a win-win situation. It will reduce emissions, <laughs> and it will increase uh, good paying jobs in I Oregon. have a big
0: response. All through this bill, they refer that we're gonna have leakage. Leakage, the definition of leakage in this bill is lost jobs and people being um, having to move. Um, so that's called leakage. the other thing is we are doing all kinds of things with all the stuff that we've passed in the last few years look at 10 years ago we didn't have very many electric cars look what we have now
1: well, Democrats are saying it's not enough though well we're, we're you still know it, a but, it,
0: but look what's in the horizon I seen where where UPS just ordered 10,000 electric vans Ford's coming out with a pickup truck GMC's coming out with an electric a Hummer as the technology keeps going forth we will keep it will be market-driven, not government-driven. So you want to do that
1: instead of the, the climate bill? Let me let, just bring in a, a, a sound bite from Governor Brown because I know you wanted to respond to her. She was on here a few weeks ago, and she said that after the last bill failed in the session, she traveled the state talking to small businesses, stakeholders, manufacturers in rural Oregon, and she said this bill is a result of, of that trip that she took, and she thinks the legislature needs to take action, that, that now is the time. So let's listen to what Governor Brown had to say, and I'll let you respond.
3: Look, I think our kids are the most uh, important spokespeople on this issue. They understand that we need to take immediate action to tackle climate change. We have a proposal in front of us. It's still a work in progress, but we have a proposal in front of us that holds virtually all of rural Oregon exempt from increased prices of the gas pump and exempts rural manufacturers like sawmills and food ma- manufacturers. We have addressed the concerns they have raised. It is time for Oregon to move forward and tackle the most important issue in our lifetimes.
1: So she says she's tried to address uh, the rural concerns. Why don't you feel it's enough?
0: They'll never meet these goals without the rural concerns. So we're not, we know that the, that the whole state will be folded into this, this, this scheme in the next few years because they will never be able to meet those goals.
1: So you don't think you're really exempted?
0: No. Let me, Tempor-
1: temporarily. Let me ask you a lot of young people, she mentioned that in that clip really feel strongly about this and they've protested. We have some video of them at a climate strike September 20th that was held around the world. We have some video from uh, Portland. I think we're going to add that there eventually. But the kids feel really strongly about it, whether they're voting age or not. Are you worried as Republicans that if you don't embrace this issue that you may alienate young voters later and remain the minority party for many generations to come?
0: You know, I, I don't know if, uh, if these people actually um, understand this concept. This is hard, this is, is difficult. It does take um, someone to kind of look at it and, and to, to figure it out. You know, when I was a kid, uh, we, were, we were gonna have a, a nuclear war at any time and we had to go to our bomb shelters and hide under our desks and everything. And I can remember as a kid being very frightened of that and that never happened. So I I just, I, I don't like that. I noticed when the governor was on your show, she started out that this is a crisis and you know, we it's gonna happen if we don't do something here in little tiny Oregon right away. She also alluded about the Cascadia earthquake. She also alluded about wildfires. And I just worry, it's scare, scare, scare. I don't, I really, I don't, I think that's good. It wasn't good for me when I was a young person, and I don't think it's good today for young
1: people. Senator Burke, quick response before we go to a break. That's climate denial.
2: And it is not. I do not that believe is not climate in denial.
0: Climate denial. denial. I, am, I have never <laughs> been a climate denier. I've always said that, that climate change is real. So don't try to paint me as a climate denier. Well, if, if, in my opinion, if you do not support
2: a bill like this, then you're not taking the issue seriously. And we need to take the issue seriously. And our children are better informed than you would possibly imagine. It's, it's really incredible. Time Magazine's Person of the Year was a teenager who's been working worldwide on climate. It is very serious, they are very upset, and they are demanding that we make
1: changes. And talk that the Republicans will walk out if you feel like you don't wanna vote on this cap and trade bill. What odds are you giving it that, that you're going to walk out?
0: You know, this session is going to be so dynamic that there is no way I can predict what's going to happen. Um, It's going to be a day-to-day, hour-to-hour at times, (laughs) probably. So um, I I wouldn't want to speculate. It's definitely still on the table because our constituents are telling us a no vote isn't enough. You must stop cap-and-trade, this particular piece of legislation, however you do it. So that's what we're being, and that's why I talked about the polarization between the two bases in Oregon right now, and we've seen it across the nation.
1: I wanna talk more about the polarization in a minute, but I I did ask Governor Brown when she was on what she thinks about a possible walkout. Let's listen to what she said.
3: I think that would be really unfortunate. I think it's more important that they show up, make sure that their voices are heard, and then if they don't like the bill, vote no. I don't think it's appropriate that they shut down state government simply because they disagree.
1: So Senator Barrett Sugar, why not just vote no?
0: Well, you know, that's interesting. She says that now in 2001 when the Democrats lost, she said, well, I think we should use every tool in the toolbox. So uh, it's obviously that a Democrat governor supports Democrats when they walk out, but does not support Republicans when we have to deny quorum or boycott the the process. I find that really, uh, I don't know.
1: Well, let's remind our viewers why you're walking out would would stop business altogether, because the legislature, we're one of the few states that requires two-thirds majority Mm -hmm. of lawmakers to be present in both chambers to do business. So if you walk out, they don't have enough votes, right, to to carry on business. So what, Senator Burdick, what happens if they walk out? What I can tell
2: you, Laurel, is that the Democrats are going to show up. In no other workplace in Oregon can someone who is getting paid simply decide not to show up and we should be treated no differently. Our constituents sent us down there to have our voices heard. I started out in the minority, uh, uh, which I haven't been in for a while, but when I was in the minority I showed up every day and I sat at every table that would take me and I made my case and I tried my hardest to get my voice heard and my constituents voice heard. That's what every legislator legislator needs to do and to, to get paid by the taxpayers and not show up is just
0: not acceptable. Did, did you happen to say that in 2001 when your colleagues left? Mm-hmm. You did say that. You're mm-hmm. on the record saying that? I, I have no idea. Well, I don't think anybody cared.
1: Well, Democrats have a supermajority for a reason, because a majority of Oregonians elected them. Is it fair for you to walk out and, and not let the majority of Oregonians be represented by their lawmakers doing business?
0: Well, you know, when you look at our Constitution, it was written to actually give a lot of weight to the minority, and I, they did that so that if anybody did get in a supermajority, that they couldn't just steamroll the minority party. And to be quite honest with you, the first test of denial of quorum was over the initiative process. If it wasn't for a group of senators to deny quorum back in, I think it was 1898 or somewhere in there, we would not have the initiative process today in Oregon.
1: Well, the governor said that if this doesn't pass, that she reserves the right to use her executive powers to, to implement this policy through executive action. How would you feel about that and what could the Republicans do about that?
0: Well, I don't know what the Republicans can do about it because we are in a minority, but the people of Oregon can, could go to the ballot, take it to the ballot, and, and I think that's what'll happen.
1: To the ballot, yeah. uh, uh, What you mean the ballot measure as far as cap and A, a, a measure,
0: initiative process, yes.
1: And and what do you think about that possibility of the governor using her executive action?
0: Uh, That would be a last
2: resort. I think it would be very unfortunate. It's our job and we need to do our job. We need to do the job that we were sent to do. And the Democrats are committed
1: to doing that. Uh, you expect any more fireworks?
0: You know, I, I like I said, this is gonna be a dynamic situation. This is a very, very controversial piece of legislation. Very, very controversial. And the the thing that worries about it is if this thing passes, Oregonians are gonna to have to live with it for a long, long it's gonna affect every single Oregonian. And here's what I worry about, we, we, we haven't talked about transparency.
1: We only have a short time so just has to be really short.
0: Well you gotta remember everything in this bill from section one to section 31 is exempt from public records requests so when they start selling these these uh, credits on the market and what they're going to be used for and most everything else in the bill, you being a reporter will not be able to do a public records request to see what's going and on.
1: And just a short time left, just 15 seconds. Do you want to respond?
2: I'm to a former reporter. This is routine. This is in the same category as trade secrets. We we need to guard against market manipulation. And so as a, a, a transparency is in my DNA for my reporting days. Senators,
1: and thank you so much for being here. We'll be watching. Good luck in the legislative session. And thank you for watching and listening. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk.